I grew up in a Pentecostal church in South Wales, and one of our main beliefs was the imminence of an event called the rapture. We were taught that we were living in the last days, that the second coming of Jesus would happen very soon, and the rapture would take place. The rapture. The time when all Christians would be caught up in the air to meet Jesus, soaring like millions of Mary Poppins through the sky, and the remaining heathens would be left behind to endure torment, torture, and destruction. We sang songs about it. We were taught about it. We believed it. We waited for it. It was a fundamental pillar of our theology. However, as a young child, I was afraid that I would come home from school one day and find that my parents had been raptured and that I had been left behind. After all, I was a very sinful nine-year-old. As a teenager in high school, I remember the Six Days War of 1967 between the Arabs and Israelis. I recall the fearful comments that people in our church made about this being a sign that Jesus was about to return. If this was a joyous occasion for Christians, I could not understand their fear and sense of foreboding. In the early 1970s, my church youth group went to see a Christian horror movie called A Thief in the Night, which was about a person left behind after the rapture. Having watched it, they were all traumatised by their experience. Again, I could not understand why the movie engendered so much unease and fear within my friends. Surely the rapture was a good thing for us Christians. In my late teens, I started performing as a singer-songwriter in Christian coffee bars. The final song of my set was always Larry Norman's classic song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. The song conveyed the message that you had better not wait too long to get right with God, or else you will get left behind when the imminent rapture occurs. I sometimes wonder how many people became Christians in those days as a result of fear rather than as a response to a loving God. I recall some teaching that our youth group received on one occasion. The preacher was trying to be humorous and trying to catch our attention and said, raise your hands if you want to be raptured and go to heaven. We all dutifully raised our hands. He then said, raise your hands if you want to be raptured and go to heaven right now. Of course, none of us raised our hands. I guess they all felt like me. I didn't want to be raptured. I was a teenager. I wanted to fall in love, get married, make love to my wife, have children, see the world and play a concert at the Royal Albert Hall in London. We all believed in the second coming, but hoped that it would be delayed until we had lived for many more years. As it turns out, more than 50 years later, I am still here. Jesus has not yet returned, and I have managed to do most of the things I wanted to do as a teenager. Most of those adults from my childhood who put the fear of God into me by their dire predictions of the imminent return of Christ are no longer with us. They died without seeing the promise fulfilled. How sad to spend your whole life waiting for something that does not happen. I learned many years ago that most Christian denominations do not subscribe to the theology of the rapture. Evidently, it only emerged as a teaching in the 19th century, mainly amongst American evangelicals of that time. 
Theologically, it has been discredited. It is safe to say that any books teaching on the subject of the rapture need to be firmly placed under the category of fiction. <laughs> I definitely do not believe in the rapture. Having said that, as I have continued through all my adult years as a Christian, I have always believed that one day Jesus will return and that it will be a wonderful time of celebration when, as the Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. How wonderful. However, it has not been a major focus and emphasis in my life, and I believe we should stop speculating about when it might happen and instead get on with living. For many years, I worked with Gerald Coates, who continually provoked Christians to examine their theology and know what they believed and why. When preaching on the subject of the Second Coming, he would always make the statement, Jesus is not coming back tonight. If you don't agree with me, Let's talk about it over breakfast tomorrow. He was right, of course. Jesus has still not returned all these many years later. He was making the point that if we sit around waiting for this event to happen, we will never live as we were meant to. We will never see the nations reached with the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. Tricia and I have some dear friends in Seattle, USA. In the church that they led for many years, their main priority was investing in the next generation of people that would follow them to continue its work and mission. They rarely taught about the second coming. I asked them why not, and they were quite clear that if Jesus returned during their lifetime, they would be thrilled. But if he didn't return, they wanted to ensure that they would pass on the baton to the coming generation. They knew that countless generations had gone before without seeing the promise of Christ's return fulfilled, and in all likelihood, that might be the case with them. A quick look at church history confirms this. People have been predicting exact dates for the second coming of Christ for most of the last 2,000 years. The fact that people take these claims seriously really does back up the statement made many years ago by Mark Twain. Religion was invented when the first con man met the first fool. Church leaders have been banging on about the last days since the time of Christ. Every conflict, plague or pestilence has them stirring up fear in the hearts of the believer. Fear is, after all, a great means of controlling the masses. Now, which version of the second coming do you believe in? Evidently, there are a number of different theories to choose from, such as early church, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, and dispensational premillennial. Big words, all very confusing, plausible theories, each with its own benefits, but who knows which one is right. I haven't got time in this podcast to analyze all those different theories. I prefer to subscribe to none of them, since I am what is known as a pan-millennialist, which means I believe it will all pan out all right in the end. I do think that without change, we are definitely in the last days for our planet and civilization. According to scientists, the Earth is over 4 billion years old, 
However, it seems that since the Industrial Revolution began, we have made a good job of ruining God's beautiful creation. We are rapidly depleting the limited resources of our planet. We are destroying the environment with our lifestyles. We have enough nuclear weapons to wipe out civilization many times over. It would seem to be only a matter of time before humanity becomes extinct. But alongside this, there is something wonderful in the human spirit that can make this world a better place. When we think of all the advances in technology and medicine that have happened in the last century, it is incredible. Indeed, in these recent times of the COVID pandemic, we have seen how in a matter of months, scientists were able to develop a vaccine to prevent the deaths of millions. I am immensely grateful for the people who have worked to make this world a better place. If I have one regret about leaving this world, it is that I will not see the exciting advances yet to come, such as the cures for cancer and other deadly diseases. Perhaps rather than speculating about when Jesus might return, we would serve this world and the human race better if we were to see ourselves as stewards of the planet for future generations. Surely, the Church should be at the forefront of speaking about and leading by example on issues of the environment, social justice, ethics and the myriad challenges our world is facing. Rather than waiting for Jesus and his celestial cavalry to come riding out of the heavens to whisk us all away to paradise, let's be the agents of change the world needs. Let's not be so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good. Gerald and I wrote the song, Great is the Darkness, as a response to the continuing problems our world faces. The cry of the chorus Come Lord Jesus is not about his return, but about our need for the Holy Spirit to equip the church to fulfill its role in this world, in this generation. It does look forward to the time when all pain and suffering will end, as that is the great promise we believe in. I am not anticipating that Jesus will return within my lifetime, although if he does, I will be delighted. What a wonderful thing that would be to not taste death. But if I spend my life waiting for this, I will not make the most of the years I have left on this planet. I am grateful for the life I have had, but I still want to do more. So, in closing, I would like to suggest, with some confidence, that Jesus is not returning today. And if you don't agree with me, we can talk about it tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to my confession. 